live from WLIWFM Studio 51. I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. A third person in what authorities said was a four-member organized theft ring pled guilty yesterday to stealing 48 high-end purses from an East Hampton Balenciaga clothing and accessory store. John Asbury reports on Newsday.com that Jamal Live Lamar. from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. A review of New York State's graduation standards, including regents' exams, is overdue and the new measures should reflect the skills high school graduates need to be successful in adulthood, top education leaders said yesterday at an event hosted by a regional business group. Quote, kids are going to college, taking out huge amounts of loans and don't really know what interest is. Ah, oh my goodness, I am so grateful. I cannot tell you to be reading this news item. That was Roger Tillis, who represents Long Island on the state's Board of Regents, which is responsible for setting much of the state's educational policy. Tillis of Manhasset spoke Wednesday at an event hosted by the Long Island Association, a business nonprofit based in Melville. Dendin Zhao reports on Newsday.com that Telus's talk came just two weeks after the announcement of 64 members to an advisory panel called the Blue Ribbon Commission. The panel will review the state's graduation measures and help identify the knowledge and skills students need to succeed in a drastically changed world. The advisors will begin meeting regularly this fall and are expected to present a final report of recommendations to the Regents Board by summer 2024. Another focus of the commission will be rethinking the role Regents exams play in determining whether a high school senior can graduate. Current students must pass at least four or five state Regents exams to get a high school diploma. Robert Vecchio, executive director of the Nassau Suffolk School Boards Association said after yesterday's event that it's time to revisit the graduation standards given how much the world has changed and that test scores alone shouldn't determine whether a student can graduate. The test should be part of it, he said. It shouldn't be all of it. Uh, Oh, my goodness. That is so refreshing because uh, when I think about the fact, uh, I think about the first student loan bill that I got uh, however many years, after it, it, they, they delay it a few years after you graduate. And realizing that I didn't understand anything about the loan process, though that's how I got a degree. It's, it's really uh, something that's quite surprising. All right, moving to Riverhead, the joint master developers of the long-anticipated revitalization project near the blighted Long Island Railroad Station area in Riverhead presented their financial and development qualifications Tuesday night in pursuit of an agreement to develop two multi-million dollar mixed-use buildings on municipal properties. Alec Lewis reports on RiverheadLocal.com that representatives from RXR and Georgica Green Ventures, the two real estate development firms des- designated joint master developers on of the project, earlier this year gave a presentation on their proposed project to the town board and the public during the qualified and eligible hearing process necessary under New York State urban renewal law for the town to sell or lease property it owns in the area. 
The developers have proposed building a four- and five-story mixed-use building with 243 apartments and podium parking on an internal portion of the ground floor lined by perimeter uses on the two-acre town-owned parking lot between Court Street and Railroad Avenue. Additionally, they proposed building a mixed-use multi-level building with 30 workforce apartments, 332 public parking spaces, and retail shops on a county-owned parking lot on Griffing Avenue. If the town board now determines the developer is qualified and eligible, the uh, town can proceed to authorize the signing of a master developer agreement with RXR and GGV to move forward with the purchase of town-owned land. Moving east, the Springs School District has established and reorganized its committee and is looking for parents, guardians, and community members to join them. Quote, the Board of Education and the school district establish committees to regularly review and provide input and feedback in a variety of areas. That's Board of Education President Barbara Dayton, who said that in a September 22 letter. Desiree Keegan reports on 27East.com that the working groups include the audit, technology, policy development, shared decision-making, district emergency response, communications, building and grounds and health, safety and wellness uh, committees, along with a guidance plan advisory council. Those interested in serving should email a letter detailing qualifications and a contact number to the attention of Springs School District Clerk Julie Bistrian. Send your info to committees at springsschool.org by uh, Friday, October 7th, next Friday. And finally, since its inception, the East End Food Institute, a nonprofit organization building partnerships among farmers, food producers, and food consumers from Long Island to uh, the five boroughs and beyond, has centered its purpose on a core philosophy, which is that everyone in the local community should be able to access locally grown food and food products. Kaylin Riley reports on 27East.com that making that a reality is challenging, requiring a lot of coordination when it comes to processing and other logistics. But thanks to the dedication of several partners from farmers and food producers to others, to other engaged and influential members of the community, the Institute has been making steady progress toward that goal. Gotta love E-E-F-I. During a special event at Nick and Tony's in East Hampton recently, Executive Director Kate Fulham announced the Institute was launching a new project uh, that it believes has the potential to revolutionize how residents in the region obtain food while also bolstering support for local food producers. The development of what the Institute is calling the East End Food Hub will, according to Fulham, help to diversify Revenue streams for farmers while ensuring there's healthy, farm-fresh food for all people in need. The hub will be located at the former Homeside Florist and Garden Center in Riverhead, where the Institute currently hosts an indoor farmer's market running on Friday evenings through the month of October. That's right on the corner of uh, Main Road and 105 there. Transforming uh, that Riverhead site into a food hub is projected to be a 15 to $20 million project. The Institute has been running a community kitchen at the Stony Brook Southampton campus. We, we did speak with Jonathan Tolson about that on Tuesday morning uh, uh, following the unfortunate fire at the Calverton Incubator uh, with the ovens there. They've been using that community kitchen quite a bit. The producers have 
uh, trying to uh, keep things moving. Uh, there, people turn produce from local farmers, for instance, tomatoes into tomato sauce, complete with East End Food Institute labels. Fulham said if everything goes smoothly, including permitting from various land use boards and government entities in the town of Riverhead, renovation of the building could begin next spring. For more information, you can visit eastendfood.org. Reading the weather in Sag Harbor in honor of our first guest this morning, WLIWFM's own Judy Carmichael, the one and only, joining us for the Thoughtful Thursday segment, underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen, to talk about her new book, Great Inspirations, and the upcoming release party at the American Hotel next weekend. Not this one, looking like a mostly sunny Thursday with a high near 68 degrees, north wind 8 to 13 miles per hour, mostly cloudy at night, with a low around 53 degrees, light northeast wind increasing to 5 to 10 miles per hour in the evening. Right now it's 57 degrees. Judy joining us in about 10 minutes, starting off with the little John Fred and his playboy band, Al Green, Elvis Presley, and then, of course, Judy Carmichael, right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Al Green, Judy, we got our Judy tracks all in a row as we warm up for Judy Carmichael, the one and only, to join us here on The Heart. I've got a little stardust, Hoagie Carmichael. If Judy is a little late, but I have a feeling that's not going to happen. A lot of people leave me hanging. Judy is not one of them. Stay tuned. Oh, Judy, 
had the title track from her 1994 record, the one and only Judy Carmichael, here on the heart of the East End on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. The one and only Judy Carmichael playing herself in here on the Heart of the East End's Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen. We're talking about her brand new book, Great Inspirations, 22 Years of Doing Jazz Inspired on NPR. Welcome back to the heart, Judy. 
Hello. Thanks for having me. I loved your Judy series there with all that Judy music. I loved it. That's what we got to do. We got to warm up and make sure everything is all ready for you. We're talking about uh, great inspirations and the book party at the American Hotel on the 9th at 4 p.m. Letting folks know, make your reservations now at judycarmichael.com if you want to go, because I have to imagine it's filling up fast, even uh, a week or two out. Uh, this was absolutely my favorite book of the year, and I'm certainly biased as a, as a friend, certainly, but more more so as a broadcast journalist. It felt like I was auditing a masterclass on the art of an interview, Aww. reading great inspirations, because that's exactly what I was doing. The title of the book delivers exactly that great inspiration as the gift just for reading. I can't thank you enough for bringing this book to us. Thank you very, very much. I, You know, after doing this show for so long, and I actually started interviewing people before 2020. Yeah, I mean, so it's more, more than 22 years ago when I was just putting it together and hoping to get it on the air. And looking back on different interviews of people that, that continue to inspire me because I will revisit some of these conversations, some of my favorites. And I chose ones that, I felt had the biggest meaning for the broadest swath of people. It's not just about jazz. I really use jazz, as you know, as a metaphor and an excuse, sort of uh, a vehicle for getting into the conversation about creativity with professionally creative people and how they stay creative, how they stay inspired, because that's the trick. You know, people tell me about somebody who's great, who's 20, and I want to know what they're doing when they're 40 and 45. Have they kept it going? Have they grown? How have they stayed with it? And I think that's really the question. It's hard to it's hard to keep it going. And these people are ones that have. So I'm very proud of the book. Thank you. Beautiful. It, jazz is such a beautiful access point because jazz really is life and the creative process itself. Uh, it, and you mentioned uh, rereading and revisiting certain interviews. That's exactly what I'm going to be doing with this book. You know, I, I was getting ready for the interview and I thought to myself, this is not the, the final time I'm going to be uh, reading this book. Uh, I am very excited to be revisiting it uh, through through the years. Now, it, appropriately enough, it's celebrating 20 years of of jazz-inspired two years later. So you get 22 years Uh, Can you talk a little bit about this as your COVID baby, if that's what it is? (laughs) Yes. Well, it is because you and you know it was going to be twenty. It was going to be twenty years. Right. And then I figured out a way because I always, as you know, I've always done my my interviews in person. Right. Because I either um, because I travel so much, I'm able to do it. So I did them in London, L.A., and New York mainly. And I could most of the time find the people I wanted to interview in person. Then then COVID hit, I figured out everybody was doing everything online. And so I was able to see the people, even though I wasn't in person with them. And I got such great conversations because everybody was talking about now, how were they going to evolve in this present situation, which we're continuing to evolve with. In fact, you and I bumped into each other Yes. You know, during the pandemic on the street, we were talking about this very thing. And I, I got all of these other interesting insights 
And it also, I had the time, frankly, to, to finally finish it. And I was going to try to muscle my way through, and then I, I had that time at home. I mean, that year at home is the longest I've been home in probably 20 years. Right. So I was able to. So it is my COVID baby. You're <laughs> so, you know, it, it, yes. And, and, and speaking of which, um, w- we've got to get back together in the, in the new studio now next time that we have you on the show. We probably should have done that this time around, but, you know, things happen. Um, but uh, We have that to look forward to. Toward, we have that to look forward to. Toward the end, or, or toward that end of persevering in the face of adversity, um, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, manifesting success, about perseverance. You spoke with Glenn Close and Ted Nash about this very thing, when Ted's teacher at first, mm. possibly not believing he had it in him, uh, your teacher telling you that you wouldn't amount to anything, which, oh my gosh, my fists balled up when I read that, and Glenn uh, flunking her Yale audition. Uh, what was yeah, I know. What was that moment like uh, for you with your teacher inside and out? I think it could be instructive for uh, some future super successes out there. Well, I think that if you have a real passion and a belief and, uh, and you're industrious and you're going forward with something, you do need to listen to feedback, but, but there will be people all along the way who will say, no, you can't do it, who project their own fears on you, uh, all those kind of things. And my teacher, I actually found out, I mean, she was always frustrated with me because I wanted to improvise. And now that I have my show, I've talked to countless jazz musicians whose teachers were frustrated with them because they wanted to do their own thing. And so that's, that's kind of a common story among jazz musicians because we have something else going on in our brains and our soul that make us not want to read the dots, that want, make us want to do our own thing. And I think for everybody, what you're asking, which is the right question, because I always look at all of these things as a metaphor for life and how can we inspire everyone not just professionally creative people, because I think we're all creative and we all need to pursue that. I think that you need to find the people who will give you support for what you want to do, realistic feedback, because, right. you know, you might be 5'4 as a man and say you want to be a ballet dancer, and that's probably going to be unrealistic to be, you know, you have to be a certain height to lift the women, but you could be a choreographer, you can do other things. And I think that anybody who is just discouraging of creativity is just wrong, and they should not be listened to. Right. I never tell somebody, if, if any of my students, when I do master classes, say they want a career in the arts, I never say no. They will find their way. I encourage them to try. So I think that's the thing. Look for the people who support you. Amen. And, uh, and you know, it's interesting, though. When you think back, uh, a lot of these moments uh, with people that are, you know, uh, toxic in a way, uh, sometimes that's that alone is what what lights the fire in someone. No, I think that's true, and I think that we we only understand. I mean, I look back on my teacher, and I think she just wasn't up to the task. I mean, I'm more sympathetic now that I've lived a few years. She just didn't know what to do with me. And my family didn't have a broad uh, range of people they could tap into. 
so my family didn't know what to do with me, so I just quit. And the fact that I'm even playing piano is something, uh, because I well, it gives me a chance to advocate for great teachers because they don't get enough support. Amen. And there are many, many great teachers in all fields, and they're the yes. ones that need to be supported because otherwise, you wind up with these ones who aren't aren't and, great teachers. You know, and it's and it's true because when I think when I think back, certainly there there are those moments with the teachers who say you can't. But it, if it weren't for the ones who said, yes, you absolutely can and you should, uh, then, you know, uh, things would have turned out differently for me, for sure. Uh, all right. So, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. I did want to talk a little bit about go back a bit, because uh, speaking of of of, do, uh, you know, uh, finding your way, you are mm-hmm. are are almost a, a podcast producer from before uh, there was a word for podcast. I mean, you started <laughs> jazz inspired before you had a spot on the radio. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, making it happen? Well, thank you. That that's very sensitive, and and it's true. I had written a couple of television shows and had pitched them, and for PBS, and this a long time ago before my reputation was as big. And they love both of them. I keep giving these TV shows, but they wanted to have me get writer credit and not – I'd written them for me to host. And they wanted Michael Feinsteiner. They wanted somebody who was famous than I at the time. And I got frustrated, and I thought, maybe radio, because every, I'd done so much. I'd been interviewed so much, right. and I love radio. And I thought, maybe I could start a radio show. And it was just an insane thought because nobody did this nobody as you know you always worked at a station then if that gets popular then maybe you get syndicated and you work in that way and in my case I went to the um, public radio conference I'd never been to a conference I you know I started with 13 people 13 famous people that I happened to know were jazz fans and recorded them and they were supportive of me so I went with my little special 13-week series, 13-episode series, and I went to this convention and started meeting people, and I pressed CDs, and I sent them to stations, and that's how I did it. You know, back then, I don't know if I've ever told you this, I had to pay, once stations started taking it, I had to pay $10,000 satellite uplink. Right, I saw, I no, I, I read that, when I read that, I was thinking, I was just imagining because I was. I've always been such a a a frugal to the point that it's 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 been uh, unhelpful for me type of person. And I was thinking, you know, talk about putting your money where your mouth is. That's exactly what you did, literally. Um, oh yeah, continue. I mortgaged my house and ten thousand. We're talking ten thousand dollars twenty two years ago. Yes, I mean that's. I don't even know what Insane. that would be now. What, 20, 30, it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And, um, but I really believed in it and I, I went for it. And I think that that is a message for other people. I mean, you might fall off a cliff, but I I can say one of the things that I've gotten from all the people that I've talked to, and you've talked to countless as well. I think that you, you go for it. I always say my motto, assess your talents accurately and go forth with courage. So be realistic, but go out there, but be prepared if something happens and you fall off a cliff, you have to 
be prepared to pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and go back out. A photographer. And that's true of everyone I know. Yeah, a photographer, Jeremy Garrison, who actually uh, sort of inspired, I'd I'd interviewed him on AM radio, and and it was following his advice that found me on on the FM uh, part of the radio dial was he, he was talking about uh, opening his first gallery, going from a photographer to someone opening their own space, and he said, "You have to build your parachute on the way down. Y- you jump, <laughs> and that's exactly uh, what you're talking about." All right. So before I let you go, and I I say, mm. you know, have an, a phenomenal release party at the American Hotel where you once played with Chevy Chase. Oh my my goodness. Uh, on the ninth, for great inspirations. Uh, let's take it back to Disneyland. Another thing I did not know about you is that you played piano at uh, outside of a cafe, I believe, and you you mentioned mm-hmm. Pluto sightings. Was it Pluto in particular who would appear in this place, or was it just uh, <laughs> an entry point for any character that might walk by? Well, the characters would get in trouble after a while because they'd come over to see me and I would do little skits with them and I would play piano and they dance. And it would, of course, they're the most popular thing at Disneyland. So there'd always be a huge crowd and we would have lots of fun. And then the supervisor would come over and roust us and say the characters had to move um, because the crowd, it was making too big of a crowd. But Pluto happened to be a particularly good dancer and was a really good friend of mine. So he would come over. And so Pluto was, was at the piano all the time. He was like, you know, if we were in a bar, he would have been my bar fly. He would be like, you know, come up and, well, you can't make a request because they're not supposed to talk. But that was kind of our joke. Like he'd lean on the piano like he was, you know, going to say play Melancholy Baby or something. So, yes, Pluto was a favorite. So a, a perfect segue into Pluto, you're for me, uh, you and Harry Allen from the <laughs> Can You Love Once More record. Uh, Judy, as always, an honor and such a pleasure to have you on the program. An unbelievable pleasure to have read great inspirations for the first time. Uh, many more to come. Uh, you can find the book, I imagine, at judycarmichael.com as well as making your reservations for the release party on the 9th at the American Hotel. Of course, ask your local bookshop uh, for great inspirations. And stay tuned right here on WLIWFM for jazz-inspired Sunday nights. Right, Judy? Yes, Sunday nights at 7. Right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. 88.3 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, of course streaming online to wherever you are on WLIW.org slash radio. You just heard the Thoughtful Thursday segment underwritten by Green Hill Kitchen right here on the heart of the East End on WLIWFM. not finished you'll always be the planet for me 
you're from me. A smile, you make my day on love a planet that goes a different way. Even Mickey Mouse has named his dog for you. Though they say you're small, we all look up to you. Your icy, shiny hue makes you always new. And although you're frozen, you're not cold at all to me. Just think that Earth has but one moon we all adore. But you have Sharon and Nix. Kerberos, Hydra, don't forget Styx. Oh, how could you want for more? They call you a dwarf, but you're just right for me. My soul wakes to your delight. That will always be you're my prince, my knight. Let me be your Snow White and see. Just know that you're the best. Forget the rest. Pluto, you're the one for me. smile you make my day i love a planet that goes a different way even mickey mouse has named his dog for you though they say you're small we all look up to you your eyes see shiny hue makes you always new and although you're frozen you're not cold at all to me just think that earth has but one moon we all adore, but you have Sharon and Nix, Kerberos, Hyde.
hydra don't forget steaks oh how could you want for more well, they call you a dwarf but you're just right for me my soul waits to your delight that will always be my friends my knight my baby yours no white and see just know that you're the best forget the rest Buddha, you're the one for me From Judy Carmichael and Harry Allen to Rex Orange County, you get it all. Great protector, is that what I'm supposed to be? Right here on the heart of the East End. What if all this counts for nothing? Everything I thought I'd be. What if by the time I realized was too far behind to see? On WLI? 70 mil projector. I can show you everything WFM And we're on our way to glory Where the show won't ever end And the encore lasts forever When it's time with you to spend Spending the years together I'll do the same as you, I'll try and hold it up Soon I hope, or as soon as I'm old enough Old enough to
knows my darkness and you know my bitterness. You could blast me in my secrets, but this is probably just Oh, I get chills every time I play that track for you, Pluto Projector from Rex Orange County. We've got, uh, oh, oh no, I want to save that one for later. We've got an artist called Thumb Vifferit, if I'm saying it correctly. Uh, up next, Pluto from the Audio Tree Live uh, EP from the same year as Rex Orange County's uh, track that I did want to play for you. And then another track I'd never heard before, which is To Pluto's Moon from My Brightest Diamond. That'll lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. Sending some love out to Pluto in Disneyland and Disney World. Right here on the heart of the East End on WLI WFM. you
With Long Island local news, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. Governor Kathy Hochul announced her opposition yesterday to legislation proposed by some state lawmakers to rename Columbus Day as Indigenous Peoples Day, just hours after Republican nominee Representative Lee Zeldin blasted the idea. Quote, we generally do not comment on legislation that has not passed both houses, but Governor Hochul does not support eliminating Columbus Day, said spokesperson Hazel Crampton Hayes. Quote, she looks forward to again marching in the Columbus Day parade and proudly proclaiming Columbus Day this year, and she will continue to be a strong supporter of the Italian-American community, the governor's spokesperson added. Zach Williams in the New York Post reports that the comment comes nearly one year after Governor Hochul bragged about issuing a gubernatorial proclamation commemorating for the first time as a state Indigenous Peoples Day three days after issuing another proclamation honoring Columbus Day. Modern-day critics say Columbus should be remembered more for his murderous role in exploiting Native Americans while pursuing gold on behalf of the Spanish Empire. Bill sponsors Assembly person Marcella Mittains, the Democrat from Brooklyn, and State Senator Jessica Ramos, the Democrat from Queens, both of whom claim indigenous roots, are hoping to move the proposal forward when the state legislature reconvenes next year. Opposition from Hochul and her rival suggest any effort to change the holiday at the state level would face a gubernatorial veto if ever passed by the Assembly and Senate, which are currently dominated by Democratic supermajorities. Here on the East End, members of the East Hampton Town Trustees and East Hampton Town Police Department Marine Patrol are calling for steeper fines and more serious criminal charges linked to the illegal harvesting of shellfish and crabs in town waters after a summer in which officials say an organized community of poachers pillaged town waters for blue claw claw crabs and other shellfish. Michael Wright reports on 27East.com that Marine Patrol officers issued more than 140 violations for breaking shellfishing rules this past summer, primarily for failure to have a town shellfish license, which is required in all town waters and available only to residents. Senior Harbor Master Tim Treadwell told the East Hampton Town Board of Trustees this week 
There is little, little evidence, he added, that the perpetrators are being held accountable in court or that the relatively small fines issued will act as much of a deterrent. The onslaught this summer found groups of a dozen or more people setting upon local ponds, Georgica Pond in East Hampton and Meacock's Bay and Watermill in particular, because of their robust stocks of blue claw crabs and gathering crabs and shellfish. When approached by authorities, the groups would scatter. Quote, Georgica has gotten overrun with out-of-towners who seem to have some sort of social media connection, and they get this information that they can come to Georgica and Meacox. Southampton has had the same problem, Treadwell said. They're well aware of the fact that what they're doing is illegal. People have said we should put signs in different languages, but they know it's illegal. They run from us. The harbormaster said they know from those they have caught that the poaching perpetrators are mostly coming from the five boroughs and often not carrying any identification. They coordinate with each other through a network of lookouts, warning calls, and cell phone communications and employ various other tactics to avoid detection, capture, or punishment when caught. Fine for shell fishing without a town license is $150, he noted. Perhaps a deterrent for someone just gathering shellfish for themselves, but probably not someone harvesting shellfish to sell illicitly on the black market. And finally, uh, very sad to have to read this, state officials yesterday declared the polio virus an imminent threat to public health, expanding funding sources for health departments on Long Island and statewide for immunization clinics and outreach to get more New Yorkers vaccinated. Robert Brodsky reports on Newsday.com that the declaration by State Health Commissioner Mary Bassett enables municipalities to work closely with the New York State Department of Health's Office of Public Health Practice to claim reimbursement for vaccine-related health care and retroactively cover covers pol- uh, poliovirus response activities from July 21st through the end of this year. Quote, From day one, we've taken an aggressive public health approach to combat the spread of polio and ensure New Yorkers are protected, Governor Hochul said. This declaration will bolster our ongoing efforts to protect New Yorkers against paralytic disease, prevent spread, and support our public health partners. It was not immediately clear how much state funding and resources could be heading to Nassau and Suffolk. Earlier this month, polio virus was detected in wastewater samples taken from North Hempstead, the first trace of the once-eradicated disease in Nassau, state and local officials said. Nassau is the fifth county where CDC testing has found traces of the virus, joining New York City as well as Orange, Rockland, and Sullivan counties. Health officials say the unvaccinated, including children two months of age and older, those who are pregnant, and people who have not completed their polio vaccine series previously, should get immunized right away. Reading the weather in Southampton in honor of our next guest, Frank Rell, joining us here in the WLIWFM studio to talk about the opening of the Celebration of Trees at Southampton Arts Center this weekend. Speaking of which, just a little love note that the pink tree lighting in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month will take place on Monday, October 3rd at 6.30 p.m. at the Main Street Southampton Chamber of Commerce. Looking like a mostly sunny Thursday with a high near 69 degrees, north wind 10 to 14 miles per hour. Mostly cloudy tonight with a low around 53 degrees, light northeast wind increasing to 5 to 9 miles per hour in the evening. Right now it's 59 degrees. Getting back to the Pluto tracks, 
let's start this one with uh, one from the Olympians uh, self-titled record of 2016. Pluto's Lament, Jake Wesley Rogers on deck after that from his Pluto EP. Then John Michael Howell's single is Pluto a Planet, followed by Hala's Pluto's a Planet from the Young Alumni record of 2015. I'm Gianna Volpe. This, these are the Olympians, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. When I was a kid, Pluto was still a planet. I'm still kind of sad about it. Uh-uh. Thought I was the till someone made me doubt it. I'm still kind of mad about it. I could buy me a rainbow. I'm a little afraid though. It won't look good with my halo 
She loves me no matter what And that really f***s me up I can't be the best There's so many killers out there Dying in hotels somewhere I could buy me a rainbow I'm a little afraid though It might start to fade away personality i'm a little quirky so you're kind of like me baby take my hand this ain't rocket surgery we can ditch our plans talk about important things like is pluto a planet is a hot dog a sandwich we can keep it relevant with all these serious questions i'm joking but i know i don't need to explain it yes i'm just kind of nervous because i love the way that your name sits in my head like it's a tattoo
John Michael Howell leading us to the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour here on WLIWFM and the start of our Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Very excited to welcome into the studio Frank Relly and Daniela Kronmeyer. Frank being one of the artists in the brand new Celebration of Trees exhibit at the Art Center right down the road. And the curator herself, Daniela Kronmeyer, joining us. Good morning to you both. Morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here. You asked a question and then I, I rudely ignored you, but because I was trying to get in the space of, was it about like the microphones yes. and whatnot? All right. So <laughs> <laughs> Celebration of Trees opens this weekend. Yes. I, I do want to start with Frank, though, because I remember when I was looking over the images that came to me. Uh, Frank, yours stood out. Not only did it bring me back to advanced techniques of photojournalism with the long exposures mm-hmm. at night, photographing beautiful trees. It's, it's Spanish moss, which as a, as a Cajun person. Oh, we have a Cajun, brings, another Cajun person here. You're okay. Okay. So you, you <laughs> don't often God. see, you don't often see us outside of the bayou. So tell me everything about who the heck you are, and a little bit more about your photography and your work. Well, I mean, I, I should be fair. I, I probably shouldn't, although I have spent a lot of time in Cajun bayous, I, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't claim myself as a Cajun. There's, um, there, there are French Acadians in my family, but Got I, it. I grew up... Hey, uh, that's still, you know, yeah, yeah. I grew up, the bloodline's there. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in uh, outside of New Orleans, and um, like you said, I've been photographing there. Um, for about the past 15 years. How close to Gonzales? That's where my grandmother's uh, homestead was, at least. Um, I mean, I, I photograph very close to Gonzales. I mean, I, New Orleans is outside of, you know, New Orleans is an hour from Gonzales. Right. But um, 
You've been there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, I think that was my first big road trip down to visit. It was a, a, a farm, the farmhouse was made of cypress. And I remember after my grandmother moved shortly before Katrina, mm-hmm. I think, which is cosmic in its in itself. But I think they, they carted the farmhouse away because it was made of cypress and yeah. I don't know, put a put an insurance company or something into it. How about it. those trees with the Spanish moss? Oh my goodness. So so tell me a little bit about about the aesthetic and uh, about photographing these trees and and that in that area. Well, um I guess uh there's so many things to say, uh but really, you know, celebration of trees is is a great way to say what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, you know, my love of trees started when I went for a walk in the woods as a kid and saw some sunlight hitting a tree and thought, this is something, you know, what is this? And you you, you go back and you try to tell your, you know, your brothers and sisters, I saw the light hit this tree. (laughs) And they're just like, shut up, Frank, shut up. (laughs) And so uh, I had to graduate from college and discover that there was a world of photography that I actually, I never studied photography, but I I walked into a gallery on Royal Street and saw these beautiful photographs by Sebastian Salgado, who's in the show. Um, wow, and, what um, is that like for you? To, that's uh, really, it's, it's got to be huge, coming full circle for you. Huge honor to be in the show with the artist in the show, Beth Moon's in the show. Um, people who have, uh, you know, are, are great photographers, but also great celebrators of trees. Um, and I'm I'm super excited. I'm, I'm thrilled, actually. Can we talk a little bit about... Uh, exploring uh, lighting trees at night because you know it was college that brought me to doing this thing but I'm always so much more impressed by people that do this stuff on their own that figure out that that spend the hours to to figure out the lighting to did you have a mentor or or what was it like was it a lot of uh, you know uh, shooting by yourself and, and figuring it out well, I I was a waiter and I walked into a, a photo gallery called A Gallery for Fine Photography, who exhibits Sebastian Salgado, and I saw these photographs and I I'd never seen photographs like this before, and so mm-hmm. I thought, um, I have to figure out how to do this. But I uh, I had graduated from college with a degree in philosophy, and um, I knew how to wait tables. So I said, I'm not going to go to school for photography. I'm going to open the yellow pages. That's what point this was. And I just started calling photographers and I said, do you ever need any help? That led me to assisting a lot of photographers in New Orleans. Eventually, I moved to New York um, and I worked. Chris Callis was a huge lighting mentor. He's a great photographer. And um, I worked with Mary Ellen Mark in New York, Um, worked on a lot of portraiture shoots, learning how to light. Right. Um, And then uh, take that right outside with you. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's take let's take it to the real celebrities. Let's right. take this take to, the to the trees. Right. Let's right. take this to He's the trees. He's like the Lorax live in the W L I W F M studio. He speaks for the trees. Daniela, oh my goodness. I want to bring you I in. It. I want to bring you in a little bit and talk about so the last exhibit, absolutely beautiful and we were honored as a team to be there with you to op- to celebrate that opening. Let's talk about changing it over and celebration of trees. Um, why, why now? And, and talk a little bit about putting this exhibition together and curating it. Sure. Well, I have to give a big shout out to the two other curators who are involved. They're currently down the street hanging the show, uh, Lori Dolphin and Coco Myers. And really this concept came together, uh, with Lori. 
she was talking to Scott Chasky, who's a well-known oh, we love yeah, Scott. poet and farmer in the community, and his wife, Negan, and they're major tree lovers themselves, and they're involved with this nonprofit based out of Michigan called the Archangel Ancient Tree Archive. And um, they were talking about ways to just, you know, get more attention to the planting trees. And this organization focuses on coastal redwoods and redwoods because they're such large carbon sequester machines. And they actually... And then you think about the fires as well and and the uh, just decimation of the populations. Yes, especially now. You know, I was actually just thinking uh, how sad I am for the ash trees of this country. Mm. You know, they're... they're, uh, going by the wayside in a big way with, yeah. you know, the, the beetle infestations and yes. whatnot. Yes, so, here we have a major p- yes. beetle infestation, pine beetle. Yeah. And you can see as you drive around just huge swaths of trees that are red or dying. And we're going to be discussing this in the programming through the course of the exhibition. But Lori and the Chaskies got to talking and basically as an artist, Lori herself and she thought well let's find a venue and just do something all about trees and building awareness and here we are the show has 80 artists from over 20 countries around the world the reason i'm involved is um just through my connections with the southampton art center having been there for a decade and coming in and out curating programming things like that right but I felt very strongly. We worked together with, yeah. uh, what was it, some Earth Day programming yes. last year. That's how we met. Yes, we did Earth. And you also helped with the social justice movements when yes. we were doing all the Black Lives Matter protest. you know, the work over there. Right. Um, but basically, um, I am very fortunate that I live here in the summer and fall, and then I take off and live other places in the winter. And so... Um, I happened to be living out west this winter. I was in New Mexico, Colorado, all over the west, and I was meeting these incredible artists, especially a lot of indigenous artists in New Mexico. Oh, yes. And then we got to talking, and like here I'd show up on this man's like ranch, and he'd be showing me all these trees that he loves, and then months later, he's calling us like, uh, the trees are gone. Are gone. And I painted right. about it, and I'm like, we want it in the show. We want yes. your stories in the show. Funny story with Frank. He might not know this, but... The spring before last, I literally felt a calling to go down to the south to be with the oaks. I just felt a major spiritual calling. I love this story. I'm I'm (laughs) right there. I go down to New Orleans and um, I don't spend a lot of time in the quarter because I like to be in other neighborhoods. But I was walking around the corner, quarter, French quarter, and I see this extraordinary tree in the window and I walk in and it's Frank's gallery. And I'm talking to the, you know gallery owner the sorry gallery um manager there and she's lovely and we have all these great new york connections and here we are frank's sitting right next to me and this is what the show's about it's about human stories connections with trees we're all interconnected we need one another they need us we need them and it's about bringing these stories to life so we're really honored and excited will this exhibit uh, be benefiting the organization, the, the archive that you mentioned in any way? Yes. So um, they have brought in our star, one of our star artists, Beth Moon, who Frank was telling you a little bit about. She's famous for her incredible photographs of baobab trees in Africa. She 
photograph some of the oldest species think, on planet. Think uh, Lion King, right? Yes. If you're, if you're trying to figure out what that looks like. Really fat. Tree like, of life. African tree of life. Yeah, the African tree of life. Think really. of Rafiki when he's drawing <laughs> Simba. I think that's a baobab. That is. Okay. Yeah. There we go. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Kids, you know, just so you can be invited into the conversation. Exactly. And um, so Archangel, yes, they will. Um, they have a whole room where we talk about the work they're doing. Uh, Liam Chasky made a beautiful film about um, bringing the coastal redwoods back to this area. They're being planted at Hayground and Longhouse. And there, I, I was going to say that yes. I, the last time I went to Longhouse Reserve, I we were on our way out, and I see a sign that says, you know, uh, largest um, stand of redwoods yes. in, in, you know, the northeast or something like that. And I was like, how cool is that? Yes. I think I called my dad. Yeah. All right. So so talk about bringing things full circle. And we're talking about the circumference of, of a tree. And uh, so the opening is this weekend. You're leading a tour, Frank. Is that right? Or am I I'm making that up? I'm going to do whatever they ask me to do. <laughs> I will ask. talk about trees all day long. And yes. Anything we can do. Um, yeah. I uh, The scheduling... I can give the scheduling, sure. So on Saturday, we're open from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Frank, I'm sure we'll be hanging around. Would love to talk to people. And then we have a little um, break between 4 and 6, just a little bit of a private thing with some of the artists. And then from 6 to 8, we have a public opening once again. Beautiful. And all, a lot of our artists will be there and a lot have traveled from far to be there. So, and, and, and just a note, guys, uh, although uh, the Arts Center is not open on Monday, uh, it's nice that a little interplay at the Southampton Chamber of Commerce on Monday at 6.30 p.m. They're going to be lighting the uh, pink tree oh, for, for, the, for Breast yeah. Cancer uh, Awareness Month. So an, a lovely little uh, interplay between the Chamber of Commerce and Southampton Arts Center there, although not planned. Um, I'm actually going to break the format and lead us out of this segment with Tony Orlando and Dawn's tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree in <laughs> honor of Daniela's call to go be with the oak trees. And I cannot thank you both enough well, for being here this morning, Frank. On Sunday, we're doing, they're doing a tour as well, right? Yes, thank yes. you, okay. Frank. Uh, Sunday from uh, 12 to 1.30 in the afternoon, there'll be an artist tour. So Frank will be there and a lot of our local artists and the galleries then kick off. They're open uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 12 to 5 through December 18th. Job's Lane, right in the heart of downtown uh, Southampton Village. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Frank Relly and Daniela Kronmeyer. This is Tony Orlando and Dawn. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Stay tuned.
Now the whole damn bus is cheering And I can't believe I see A hundred yellow ribbons around the old tree I'm coming Make lost and found. Can you cut the slack? 
Paula, Pluto's a planet from the Young Alumni record of 2015, and now for something completely different. Lars, Pluto, and the Reavers weaken your walk from the remote section sessions of 2017 here on WLIWFM. minutes before the NPR news break at the top of the hour continuing our Pluto theme we've got Pluto 
Shervington, your honor here on Long Island's only NPR radio station. I'll see where I'm going to go from there. Maybe a little GBV guided by voices. Pluto is polluted. Uh, Visco and McNeil, uh, plutonic, plutonic um, from the I'm Not So Old record. Uh, then a band called Unlike Pluto, their cover of the Pixies' Where Is My Mind. Cat Power's Where Is My Love. We'll see what we have time for. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Pluto Shervington. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to the WLIWFM weekday morning and midnight program, The Heart of the East End, featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews from folks from all walks of life. All because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Corporal, when you're going to 
Plutonic, Long Island acoustic duo Visco McNeil from their 2022 record, I'm Not So Old, leading you into the NPR news break with an unlike Pluto cover of the Pixies' Where Is with My Mind? And Cat Power's Where Is My Love? Deep about our guest this morning. Judy Carmichael, Frank Relly, and Daniela Kronmeier. And our underwriters, Green Hill Kitchen and William Riss Gallery. As well as all of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Stay with us. Safe and warm, so 
Jesus.